Well, as we jump into our message today, I want to ask you if the people who planted Richmond wrote us a letter, what do you think it would say? So we remind ourselves that uh, there was this courageous, very small group of people in 1894 who decided that they were going to plant a church in this area. And so they spent time together as a small group, they spent time praying, and they made a decision to say, yes, we want to plant a church here, which has become what we are. So that small group of people, imagine that they wrote us a letter. What do you think would be in that letter? What do you think are the things that they might encourage us about? Where they would say, you guys are doing such a great job in these areas. We're so pleased to hear about the great things that are happening in this type of area. What do you think are the things that they might challenge us about? Where they'd say, don't, uh, make sure you don't get, lose your focus. Make sure that you stay uh, engaged with these things. Make sure that you don't lose sight of this. Where might they say, you have continued on our legacy in ways that we could not have even dreamed or imagined? When they first planted this church, wonder what their hopes and dreams were for what this church would be like. And now, as we sit here so long later, what would they say, you've continued our legacy on in so many ways and we're so proud of you? It's an interesting thing to think about. Today, we're going to continue our series, Engage and Encounter, but we're going to be looking at the New Testament letters. And the reality is that the New Testament letters are exactly that. A lot of the letters are written by the people who planted churches in the early church, just after the days of Jesus, and uh, then wrote letters to those churches to say, here are the things that you're doing great in, here are some things that you might not want to lose sight of, and here are some things to just kind of help you be able to move forward. And so we're in the second to last week of this series Some of you are very pleased about that. It's been a very long series, but very intentionally so, uh, where we have been journeying through all the different types of literature and reminding ourselves that the Bible is far more like a library than it is a single book, and therefore we need to approach all of the different literature through different lenses and be able to wrestle with different questions that help us to understand that literature, but primarily so that we can encounter Jesus. The whole reason that we read scripture is not just so we can learn some stuff, but so that we can encounter Jesus. And so we have looked at Old Testament narratives, we've looked at the law, we've looked at the prophets, we've looked at the Psalms, we've looked at gospel narratives, and uh, last week we spent some time looking at the parables. And uh, so, as I mentioned, we have two weeks left, so I want to encourage you to continue to use the resource sheets that we've had available uh, and to make sure that you are continuing to help form the habits that we hoped would come out of this series that will then carry us into the second half of this year. So if you have uh, the Bible app on your phone, you can open that up now and go down the bottom right to more and then events and then Richmond Baptist and you see a teaching notes there. And if you've got an actual paper Bible with you, you can open up to Ephesians chapter 2 because that's where we're going to go in a few minutes time. So it's good for us to uh, remind ourselves about where the New Testament letters fit in that big library that we talked about. Because even though the Bible is a library, it's not just a random assortment of books. There is this what's called a meta-narrative or a grand story that weaves its way through all of the different books of the Bible and all of those different types of literature. And so the Bible begins with helping us to understand why we're here what we were created for, that God created us so that we could be in a full, complete relationship with him, full, complete relationship with each other, and a full, complete relationship with creation. But right from the beginning, humanity said, thanks, 
but no thanks to God's best and walked away from what that looked like. But God didn't give up on humanity at that point. Instead, God chose a guy named Abraham and his family to become a nation called the Israelites, where he also walked with them and helped them to understand this is what you were created for. And the Israelites also said, thanks, but no thanks, and walked away from God's best over and over again. But God continued to be faithful draw them back in and say, this is what it looks like to live in a healthy relationship with me and with each other and with creation. And so that's the whole journey of the Old Testament. But as that journey continues and as the generations unfold, there's this growing expectation that at the right time, this person would appear who would be called the Messiah or the Rescuer or the Saviour, the one who would come and set things right once and for all and give all of us the opportunity to be able to live the way that God wants us and created us to be able to live. And so part of the language that then starts to evolve through that is that this Messiah is going to be a king who's going to come and establish a new kingdom. And last week we talked about some other ways of thinking about the kingdom, to think about the dream of God or to think about the ecosystem of God, or to think about the party of God, to recognize that God has this amazing dream for humanity and the king comes to establish a kingdom that enables us to live that dream out. And so the New Testament begins with the arrival of that Messiah King, who we know is Jesus. And Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, what are called the Gospels, simply because gospel means good news, are the good news about the arrival of this king and Jesus coming to establish the kingdom so that it is something that we can live out in our lives. And so through Jesus' life, his teaching, his death and his resurrection, we get these pictures and this understanding of what the kingdom is all about. But we also believe that Jesus has done everything necessary to remove any barriers that stop us from being able to experience the kingdom in all of its fullness. So the next book that we come across is Acts, which is the journey of the early church. The first followers of Jesus as they wander around and spread the gospel good news about Jesus, spread the message of Jesus, the message of the kingdom, and what it means to live as kingdom people. And a key figure throughout the book of Acts is this guy named Paul, who goes around from city to city with very open ears, his attention fully up, looking for people who are searching spiritually to be able to say, let me talk to you about Jesus and how he is the fulfillment of everything that you've ever been searching for. And then Paul grabs people, groups of people together to form these things called churches, just networks of people who are all passionate about being able to follow Jesus and to live out what it means to be kingdom people together. Primarily, most of those smaller groups met in houses. They might come together for some bigger gatherings from time to time, but primarily the early church was all of these house churches that were happening. And so Paul would invest in some key leaders in those house churches, and then he would move on to another city. And then he would do the same thing over and over again. And so that's what we read through the book of Acts. And then the majority of the rest of the New Testament is these letters that have been written by Paul and some of the other key figures in the early church. The exception is Revelation, although in some ways that's a letter, and we're going to tackle that in its own next week. Melinda's got the joyous task of being able to do that, so that's going to be fun. Uh, But we have these 21 letters between Acts 
and Revelation. So the vast majority of the New Testament, which is what we're going to try and tackle this morning, which is no small feat. So we're going to do a little bit of a deep dive, which is going to be really exciting for those of you who love history and love background and context. And for a bunch of you, you're like, can we just move on with this? Come on, let's get this going. So I want you to uh, try and stay with us and uh, absorb some of the excitement from some of our history buffs as we just talk about how all these letters come together. So there are 21 letters, sometimes called epistles. So if you've ever heard of the epistle to the Romans, it just means letter. Uh, Epistle is just a fancy word. I don't like fancy words, so I'm going to use letters. Paul probably wrote 13 of those 21 letters. I'll explain the probably in a minute. Uh, But Paul wrote the majority of those letters. Uh, As you can see up on the screen, hopefully, he wrote the letters to Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Now, there is some conjecture about whether Paul wrote Colossians and 2nd Thessalonians or not. And the reason is that there are these massive Bible nerds who have done a really, really deep dive and said, oh, those words don't seem like words that Paul would use. So we're not sure that Paul actually wrote it. Or my personal favorite, those sentences are much longer than Paul normally writes. So that means someone else must have written them rather than Paul just being a bit long-winded. So there's some conjecture. Some people would say, no, Paul wrote all of them. Some people would say, ah, we're not quite sure. Uh, But in the end, there's 13 of those. And so all of these are written to churches in specific cities. So the letter to the Romans is written to the church in Rome. The letter to the Corinthians is written to the church in Corinth. The letter to the Ephesians written to the church in Ephesus and so on. And I love to remind myself about how all this played out. So we remind ourselves about Paul's travels. So again, you can read about all of this through Acts where Paul goes on this massive trip all around Europe and the Middle East and visits all of these different cities, plants all of these cities Uh, plants all these churches, sorry, and then, as I said, moves on to the next city, but then stays in touch with the people who have planted these other churches. And so either they write him letters or they have people who come and visit him or Paul sends some people to go and visit those churches and they come back and report back. And those letters that we've just talked about are Paul's responses to what's been going on in those churches. Then we have what are called the pastoral letters. So 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus are what's called the pastoral letters because they're addressed to specific people. There is also this other letter called Philemon, which is kind of a hybrid letter. So it's written to Philemon and the house church that meets in Philemon's house. So some people are like, well, it's not a pastoral letter because it's not written to one person. It's written to a church, but then it's not written to a church in a city. So you can decide where you would like to lump that one in. But it is Paul writing to some specific people. And Timothy in particular was this young leader who Paul spent a lot of time with mentoring and investing in so that he also could have a huge influence across the early church. And so First and Second Timothy, lots of great advice there about someone who's stepping into leadership. Then we've got the book, uh, the letter to the Hebrews, which is an interesting book because it's written by an anonymous author. So we don't actually know who wrote it. Again, there are some Bible nerds who would say, oh, there's some Paul-type language and stuff in here, but the other Bible nerds would argue with them and say, no, 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 there's not enough Paul-type stuff here, so it wasn't written by Paul. Uh, So generally when we talk about Hebrews, we say the author of the letter to the Hebrews. So just some anonymous person, we'll call them Frank, Uh, who wrote this letter, and nobody knows who they are, which I think is pretty great. So that's Hebrews. And then there are some other letters that are called the general letters. So James, 
which was written by James, the brother of Jesus. First Peter, which was almost definitely written by Peter. Yes, that Peter, the Peter that we love so much from uh, the Gospels and Jesus' stories. Then there's second Peter, which may have been written by that Peter, but may have also been written by another Peter. Nobody really knows. Then there's first, second and third John, uh, which most people would say is the same John who wrote the Gospel of John and also wrote Revelation. So he wrote lots and lots of things. Uh, and then there's Jude, who was another brother of Jesus. So they're what, what are called the general letters. And most of those were written to the church in general, hence why they're called general letters, because they're just general advice from these key leaders who were a part of the early church. All of these letters were written in the first or second century, which is really important for us to hang on to because sometimes, I'm sure you've heard this kind of pushback about the Bible that we can't trust the Bible because it was all constructed later. So these people manipulated a whole bunch of things and retrofitted all back onto Jesus and the early church didn't believe the same things that we do. It was all kind of made up. You may have heard that as an argument before. It's simply not true. All of these letters were written pretty much within a generation of Jesus having been around. And so the things that we believe are tied directly to the things that we see the early church was believing about Jesus and about what it means to follow Jesus together. And so that's really, really good for us to be able to hold on to. Now, if you tuned out, welcome back. Good to have you with us. This next bit is really, really important. So if you remember nothing else <laughs> from what I'm talking about today, please remember this. When reading the New Testament letters, context matters a lot. When reading the New Testament letters, context matters a lot. It's really, really, really important for us to recognize that there was context that these letters were being written into, particularly Paul's letters that were being written, again, remember, to specific groups of people in specific cities where there was specific stuff going on, Paul wrote these letters addressing those things. And so possibly more than anywhere else in Scripture, we have to be super careful about just plucking verses out randomly and saying that's something that can be applied everywhere. Part of the reason for that is because the original way in which these letters would have been presented is that they would have been read out loud. So Paul would have written this letter. He probably would have had someone else write it for him, but he would have dictated it. And then this letter would have arrived. So the church in Rome, one of the key leaders would have received this letter from Paul. We got a letter from Paul. How exciting. It's kind of like how we felt yesterday when we got a letter from our solicitor. And I thought about reading that out line by line so that you could have an experience of what, but it wouldn't be quite the same. But then... There would have been a gathering that would have happened shortly after that where they would have called all of the people who were part of the church together and they would have read that whole letter out in its entirety. And that is something that makes me stop and think sometimes because if you've ever looked at the letter to the Romans or 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, they're kind of quite lengthy. So Philippians, Ephesians, probably would have been all right to be able to listen to one of those. But listening to someone read out everything that's in the letter to the Romans or everything that's in the letter to 1 Corinthians would have been a lot to absorb all at once. But that's exactly how it would have come across. And so for us to then say, we're going to take these two little sentences here and extract that from that and apply that over here without thinking about the whole context of the letter is very, very irresponsible and something that we shouldn't do. So we need to make sure that we do the work to say what was the overall purpose of the letter and what are the overarching themes that are a part of the letter. And so you might be wondering, well, how on earth am I supposed to find that out? That's a great question. Thank you for asking. 
you can go to the Bible Project, would be my encouragement to you. So Bible Project have a YouTube channel and they also have a website. And they are as great as anyone at being able to explain context and being able to explain overviews. They basically have an introduction to almost every book in the Bible, uh, but particularly all of the letters. They have done all of the work and all of the research. And so you get to watch a five to eight minute video that is filled with nice, pretty graphics and is very engaging and very helpful, but it will give you a really good picture and an overview of what that looks like. If you've got a study Bible, then most study Bibles have an introduction uh, to what the letter is all about, and so you can read that. Uh, there's a website called blueletterbible.com. Uh, it's Blue Letter Bible, so you probably know about Red Letter Bibles, which have the words of Jesus in red. Blue Letter Bible because of hyperlinks. That's why they decided to call it that. Uh, and so they have a whole bunch of commentaries that are on that website, and so you can check them out. I will say it's a little bit of a clunky website. It's a little bit old now, and so it's not the easiest thing to navigate. Uh, but there is a whole bunch of stuff on there as well. So really important for us to gain that context. But what's really, really crucial, which we've talked about all the way through this series, is that we also adopt a Jesus-centered approach to it that we remind ourselves that whatever it is that we're reading, we look at it through the lens of Jesus, not the other way around. And this is one of the major critiques of the church in the West in particular over the last few hundred years, is that our theology has probably become more shaped by Paul than it has by Jesus. That a lot of our theology has far more come through what Paul wrote than what we read in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And so, as we've talked about through this series, we can sometimes look at Jesus through the lens of what Paul wrote instead of looking at what Paul wrote through the lens of Jesus. And so it could be argued that it's probably more important with the letters because there is this tendency for us to focus so much on them to really make sure we're saying start with Jesus and work our way out from there. So we're going to do what we've done every week, which is to look at a passage and then have a set of questions to be able to unpack that, which are the same questions that you'll then be able to use this week with our resource sheets. Uh, so again, if you've got your Bible with you, Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 10, and uh, if you've got the Bible app open, it should be there as well. So Paul writes, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we are subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So, fairly meaty passage, a little bit to dig into there. So the first question that we're going to have a look at is what is the major theme or focus of this part of the letter? 
So as we just look at that chunk that we've read, what would you say is the major theme or focus? And I actually want you to have a conversation about that. So just turn to one or two people around you and one word, one phrase, how would you articulate the major theme or focus of what we just read? Just take a couple of moments, have a conversation, and then we're going to feed that back together. All right, so that we can uh, capture some of this for the people who are on Zoom and uh, also for our podcast. So what are some words or phrases that you came up with or that you heard someone else say, you're like, that was really good? Grace, very good. Sorry? We second that. Two for grace. Another? (laughs) Anyone have anything other than grace? (laughs) It's a good thing. Salvation, very good. Undeserved, that's good. One more. Sorry? Death and life, very, very good. So, here's what I want us to do, is just read verses 1 to 4 and ask ourselves the same question. So, as I read these verses, I want you to ask yourself the same question. What, are, what is the major theme or focus of this part of the letter? And the reason for this is that our second question is how does this reflect Jesus' heart and character? Okay, so that's where we're going to go. So, verses 1 to 4. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. So if we just pause there, would your word or phrase be the same as what you just said? (laughs) Wouldn't have thought so. And particularly then, so we would probably use words like that's very dark and bleak, (laughs) weighing us down, so we're all passionate to the sinful desires, the selfish, self-centered desires of our hearts, which, by the way, are manipulated by the devil who's just working through us, do all these bad things, and because of that, God's pretty angry at you. Encouraging message. So as we then ask the second question, how does this reflect Jesus' heart and character, If we just look at those verses and we've just plucked them out, what's the picture that you have of Jesus? Jesus is like, (laughs) get your act together. Bang. (laughs) Angry Jesus, issuing God's wrath. Jesus probably doesn't like us very much. 
But when we zoom out, because we say, that doesn't seem like Jesus to me. So if we've gone lens of this and then projected that onto Jesus, that's where we end up. But if we go the other way and say, what is Jesus like and how does that shape this passage? Then we say, there must be more going on here because that doesn't make sense and that doesn't really align with Jesus. And so that's why we say, well, we'd better read what was happening just before this or we'd better keep reading and read what happens afterwards. And sure enough, as Paul then gets into the next verses, he says, all of that was true, but it's not true anymore. And all of that is because of Jesus. So something has fundamentally changed because of Jesus. And guess what? None of it's because you did anything to deserve it. It's all because of God's goodness and God's generosity. Does that sound like Jesus? Absolutely it does. So that's why this is so important for us to make sure that we focus on what Jesus is like and work our way out from there. But then we do want to zoom out a little bit further and say so the next question that we can ask ourselves is why might this be a theme or a focus in this letter? And so this is where we go to the Bible project and we watch the video and we, okay, this is what was going on in that context. And we ask ourselves what sorts of things were going on for this group of people? What sorts of things were going on in this community? What sort of issues were they facing? Why would Paul be raising those things specifically? And so if you do that work around the book of Ephesians, you recognise that Paul's big focus with all of this is around unity. A big part of what Paul wants to remind us about through Ephesians is that we are united together, not because we have everything in common, not because we all come from the same background and not because we're all the same. We're united because of Jesus. Jesus is the one who's done everything necessary for us to be able to live the way that God has created us to live. So our differences don't make us weaker and they don't divide us. Our differences actually make us stronger because we centre around Jesus and now we have the opportunity to live the way that we're supposed to and get on with the awesome job of being God's masterpiece together, which is great. So we zoom out. What was the overall theme or focus of the letter? And that fits really, really well with what's there. Then we can ask ourselves, is this relevant for us today in our culture? So as we do that work, and with some of the other letters, so Corinthians is a great example. Corinthians was a wild city, and the church in Corinth reflected that. And it was a wild church. And there was all sorts of amazing things that were going on in that church. It would have been very, very complex. And so Paul writes some very specific things to that church because of what's going on for them. And so sometimes we need to say, well, is that still relevant to us in our context. And some people have argued that in actual fact, most of our Western cities now that we're in kind of a post-Christian era far more reflect Corinth than maybe any of the other cities of Paul's time. So that's interesting. But we wrestle with that question. Is it still relevant for us today? Looking at the letter to the Ephesians, our understanding is that this was a letter that was sent around to a whole bunch of churches. So it started with the church in Ephesus but then Paul knew that it was then going to go to a bunch of other churches as well. And so there's a lot of very general principles in this. And so we can say, yes, that's all very applicable to us and very helpful for us. But some of the other examples of what Paul's writing is where the church has sometimes gone sideways because we've taken something specific that Paul was saying into a specific context and we've then tried to apply it into our context. And so two examples that came to mind for me immediately were Paul's uh, advice about who is appropriate to be in different types of leadership in the church. Paul writes some very clear things in some of his letters about that, 
But generally, he's addressing two things. First of all, people who are uneducated and illiterate probably shouldn't be in positions where they're teaching other people because they haven't done any work to learn themselves and therefore don't necessarily have things to share. The other group of people is people who aren't living like Jesus. So if your character and your lifestyle is not reflecting Jesus, you probably shouldn't be in a position of leadership. And so we would say, yes, we want to adopt those same principles for us. It might not be the exact same examples that Paul's referencing, but we would say the people who are in leadership with us as a church, we hope that they are people who've done some background work and have an understanding about some stuff. And we would hope that they're people who are Jesus-y type people, who reflect the character of Jesus in the way that they live their lives. Another example that we could use is Paul's words to people who are slaves. So this is not Paul endorsing slavery, as some have claimed, which is an outrageous thing to say, but simply recognising that in Paul's day, that was a very common reality. And so Paul writes some things specifically to slaves and masters. Now, is slavery an issue for us? Well, in different ways, not in the same way that it is for Paul. There is still slavery that floats around in different parts of the world, but we recognise it's not exactly the same. But there are principles that we can take from that to be able to say, what about workplace relationships? Because in effect, that's what slaves and masters were. And so as employers, we can think about how we treat our employees and take the principles that Paul talks about. And as employees, we can think about how we treat our employers and think about that through the lens of what Paul talks about. So we can take some of those principles, but we want to be careful just to copy and paste it and say that's exactly the same in our context. I'm sure you can think of some very live examples around that, which I'm very happy to talk with you further about if that's helpful. So the last question then that we're going to use to reflect on this week is then our application question, which is to say, what does this teach us about living as kingdom people and how we relate to each other and those around us? Ultimately, this is where we want to land, to say, well, on the basis of all this, what are we going to do about it? Like, what's going to be different in my life because of what I've thought about, because of what I've been reflecting on, and because of what I've understood in a new way? In some ways, the letters are probably the most helpful ones for us because they're filled with practical advice because they were written by leaders to people in the church to say, here's how to follow Jesus and live as kingdom people. And so there's lots of stuff that should be instantly practical for us to be able to use. But we want to reflect on what it means to be people who follow the King, who follow King Jesus and live the way that he created us to live. How does this change the way in which we live? And so this passage that we've looked at today, if we do recognise that we're all equal because of Jesus, then that hopefully changes the way that we approach each other and the people around us. No one's better or worse than anyone else. We're all equal and it's all because of Jesus. And so we can just get on, as I said earlier, with living the way that God created us to be and to think about what is my part of the masterpiece that God is creating in us. What are the good things that God has planned for us to be able to do? As we head out into this week, let's get about doing those things. But doing it with a sense of knowing that we're not trying to strive, we're not trying to earn anything, we're not trying to hopefully do something that'll mean that God will look favourably upon us. We do this from a position where it's all done and complete because of Jesus' work.
So throughout this week, uh, on our resource sheets, there will be some other passages from a number of different letters for you to be able to explore. Uh, So there will be some resource sheets on that back table and in the cafe. I left them in the office. This is what happens when Jemima's not here. Uh, And so (laughs) I will get them to make sure they're there. And then that will also be sent out in our weekly email this week. So if you don't get that, come and see me and we'll make sure that you get added to that. But my hope and my prayer is that as we head towards the end of this series that we continue to have our imagination stirred about what it really means to live as kingdom people. That if we believe that Jesus has come to be our king, we get to follow in the tradition of generations of churches who have said, what does it mean for us to live as kingdom people in our context, in our time? And as we move out into this week, we have the privilege of continuing to reflect on what that looks like and to live that out with each other. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing a song and uh, move into some coffees and some more conversation. So let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful that you are King Jesus, that you are the King who comes to establish the kingdom and to enable us to be able to live the way that we were always created to live. Thank you that you have done everything necessary for that to happen, that this week is not about us trying to work hard enough or strive hard enough or make sure that we don't make enough, enough mistakes, that we somehow get accepted by you. But as we've looked at this morning and as so much of Paul's writing is filled with, that we are people who have been radically transformed because of your amazing love and because of your amazing grace. And so as we move out into this week, we pray that you would continue to stir us about what that looks like, that you would continue to help us to dream about what it means to live as kingdom people with each other, but also to continue to be stretched about what it looks like for us to be able to live as kingdom people in a world that so desperately needs hope and purpose and grace and love and all the other things that we believe are a part of the kingdom. We also pray that as we work through the New Testament letters, we know that there is some complexity there. And so we pray that you would continue to give us wisdom. And especially, Jesus, that you would help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, to remind ourselves about who you are and what you've come to do, and be able to do the work of projecting that onto what we read in the letters uh, and in conversations with each other as we learn together to continue to have our thinking stretched around that. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen.